I'm not Jesus of Nazareth. That's who you're seeking, but let me tell you who I really am. And so when he said, I am, they should have got the point, but they did not, unfortunately. So then Jesus said it again, whom are you seeking? And they said again, Jesus of Nazareth. They still didn't get it, but now they are accountable and culpable for their treachery. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Jesus didn't want the soldiers to panic and injure the disciples. He called their attention back to him and asked them again a question they were probably hesitant to answer. After the display of power described in John 18:6, Jesus didn't continue to oppose his arrest. Jesus willingly gave himself up to protect his disciples, and this was the same sacrificial love that would find its ultimate peak at the cross. It also shows why Jesus knocked the soldiers to the ground The show of power was to protect the disciples, not Jesus himself. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. And coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, notice, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. No surprise to Jesus that this was happening. Little did those soldiers know that he was the one who was in control. So Jesus, you know, he says, he went forward, he said to them, whom are you seeking? Jesus knew who they were seeking. But I believe this was Jesus' way of making them accountable for what they were about to do. He knew why they were seeking him, but I don't think they really knew who they were seeking. They said, Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) And then he answered them, uh, they they answered him, excuse me, verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. I want you to underline or circle a word. Circle that word he. Because that word he is in italics, which means that in the original manuscripts, in the original language, that word was not there. What Jesus literally said was, I am he. And the fact that Jesus said, the fact that they said, excuse me, that Jesus of Nazareth shows their ignorance of who Jesus really was. And Jesus makes sure that they understand who he really is. Who he really is. You'll see this word he in italics in verse 6 and in verse 8 as well, which means that um, it wasn't there. So Jesus is basically saying, I am. I am, and you know this because we've talked about it before, but what is significant about this? Remember, when Jesus, or excuse me, when Moses was serving Jethro, his father-in-law, and he went on the backside of the desert, and while he was there, remember what happened. He was walking along one day, and he saw a, a bush that was consumed in flame, but it wasn't on fire, and that voice, God, Jesus, out of that bush, spoke to Moses 
And then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the... And, and, and God wanted Moses to go and deliver his people out of Egypt. And so Moses said to, to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he, and he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. <laughs> I am has sent me to you. In the Greek, ego I me. That's what Jesus said. I am. He didn't say I am he. He said I am. And the Jews at that time knew exactly what Jesus was saying. In fact, all throughout the gospel, we see Jesus making these I am statements. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And then even in John chapter 8, verse 56, your father, Jesus, speaking to the Jews... He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And yes, they understood what he meant, because notice what happens in verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. They knew exactly what he was saying. In John chapter 9, remember, when Jesus healed the blind man who was blind from birth, it says, therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that this man was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. And others said, He is like him. But they even said that Jesus said, I am. I am. So they knew exactly what it, when, they, when he said, I am. And notice, now when he had said this to him, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. No, they didn't trip over their sandals. It wasn't like one of those things where you see the, you know, the uh, America's Funniest Home Videos and you see the marching band and somebody falls and then the whole band falls behind them. No, the very power of what Jesus said was what drew them back and they fell to the ground. The very power, the revelation of who he was. And then he asked them again, verse 7, Who are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? And I almost wonder the inflection of his voice, because I think of all, when we read these things, one of the most important, important parts of what Jesus says is how he said something. How he said it. You know, the first time he may have says, said to them, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they all fell over. And then they got back up and he goes, um, so who are you, whom are you seeking now? Are you still seeking Jesus of Nazareth, even though my deity has been to, um, you know, made manifest to you? Are you still going to be searching for him? Because I don't know who he is. I am that I am. Whom are you seeking? This is wonderful because after this revelation, he asked them again. And he made them accountable. And we are accountable for what we have heard, just like these men were. In Luke chapter 12, it says, The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say that you 
excuse me, truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And then Jesus says, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, his will shall be beaten with many stripes. He knew his master's will and didn't do it. It says that he was going to be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. What's the idea behind this? It's accountability. If you know something, God holds you accountable to it, and there is a uh, there is a stricter judgment or a, um, a, a force behind it. But if you didn't know, you still have punishment, but it's going to be less because you didn't know. And you know, that's really important for us, isn't it? When we go to driver's ed school, when you're in, when you're in high school, you learn the rules of the road. And they do that so that when you get out and you go 85 miles an hour in a 45 or in a 35... You're going to get pulled over, and there's going to be a consequence. You're held accountable by the law. The law says this, and now that you know it, you must obey it. And if you don't obey it and you get caught, you're going to have to pay the price. But if you didn't know the law, sometimes the officer will say, well, didn't you know that that wasn't true? Well, you know, and, and, and if you really honestly didn't know for some reason, you better have a really good excuse, like, I can't speak any language, or I, I'm blind, which, why are you driving anyway? But anyway, that's beside the point. Then you would be punished less. You might say, you know, I better get another cruiser to come and take you home. You shouldn't be driving behind a car with those dark glasses of yours. So Jesus was making sure that these men and Judas knew what they were doing in betraying an innocent man. And oh, by the way, no big deal, but you know, it's Almighty God as well. You're betraying Almighty God. And we too are held accountable for our words. Or for what we know, excuse me. In Romans 7, Paul said, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I did not... For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. And so he goes on and talks about the, the law. Once he heard the law, then he was accountable to the law. And Jesus here is telling them, I'm not Jesus of Nazareth. That's who you're seeking, but let me tell you who I really am. And so when he said, I am, they should have got the point, but they did not, unfortunately. So then Jesus said it again, whom are you seeking? And they said again, Jesus of Nazareth. They still didn't get it, but now they are accountable and culpable for their treachery. I love accountability. It's a great thing, isn't it, to be accountable? It's not easy to be made accountable, but being accountable is actually for our safety. It's, it's part of our conscience and even a governor of ours. Now, the other gospel accounts tells us that somewhere about this time, Jesus, or excuse me, Judas identifies Jesus to the guards 
And he was so plain to them. He probably looked like all the other disciples. And they didn't know who he was, probably. But Judas knew him. And so what happens? It says to us in Matthew, Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. And immediately he went out to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. You might want to underline that word kissed, because this word kiss is not what you think it is. This was not just a friendly kiss that men who would greet each other in that culture might do. Judas kissed him a lot, and he kissed him with earnest. This greeting was the exact opposite of how men who truly loved and respected each other in the Middle East is totally opposite of how they would greet each other. In my opinion, this was very sick, and it was very demonic, and shows the perversity of our enemy Satan. This word kiss, literally, look at this. To kiss earnestly. To kiss again and again. It wasn't just a peck on the cheek like I'm greeting you. No, it was Judas went overboard and kissing him, kissing him, kissing him earnestly. And think of the, the, how horrible that is. The devil being in Judas, kissing the Son of Man profusely and over and over again, kissing him. What a sick thing. And people think that Judas was just this, you know, an innocent guy and he got caught up in a thing and maybe he was just following some kind of role and acting out the play of what was going to, you know, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament that he had betrayed. No, Judas operated on his own behalf. He was completely oblivious to those things. He did it of his own heart and of his own volition and God held him accountable for it. Notice what Jesus said in verse 8. I have told you that I am. Notice, again. Therefore, if you seek me, then let these go their way. Notice that they were seeking Jesus of Nazareth, but he's saying, I am. I am not Jesus of Nazareth. I am Almighty God come in human flesh. The Logos of God. It was more accurate for Jesus to say, I am, rather than to say Jesus of Nazareth, because that's truly who he was. Truly who he was. Didn't Isaiah say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. Okay, that's a game changer. The son, whoever it is, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, and then this son, for unto us a son is born. 700 years before Jesus was born, this son would be born. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. This son would be called Almighty God and Everlasting Father? Are you kidding me? Almighty God and Everlasting Father? Yes. The Great I Am. Hallelujah? He is the Great I Am. I love it. And Jesus answers, says, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Again, the he is in italics. And so it could literally read, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. And I love Jesus as the good shepherd, always seeking to have his disciples be let off the hook. He never wanted them to, to suffer like he was going to suffer. They would suffer, but this was not their time. And their faith, I think, was so weak at, at, at this time that they still needed some help. And Jesus knew that. 
He knew where their faith was. He knew that they were slowly piecing together all the things that he had told them and putting together the scriptures from the Old Testament and going, oh my gosh, this, is, this really is him. And they were slowly coming up to speed. Even after his death, they were still scratching their head a little bit. And I like that because it reminds me of me. Because I'm not, I don't have it all together. But Jesus said this, Of whom those you gave me, I have lost none. And Jesus spoke this, speaking of security and the assurance that we can have. Yes, you can have that assurance. Do you have that assurance? Do you have that security and assurance of salvation? You can. Because John tells us in, in chapter 6, verse 39, this is Jesus speaking, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up, raise it up at the last day. Jesus said also, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and again, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. How secure is your salvation? How secure are you in Christ once you have given your heart to him? Oh, you're very secure. There's no one that can pluck you out of God's hand. I'd like to see him try. Isn't that good news? Again, everyone smile because that's our, that's our lot. I'm so blessed, aren't you? That's what, we, that's what we have inherited. It's so wonderful. And he's lost none. He's lost none. And the only one that was lost was Judas, fulfilling those scriptures in Psalm 41 and also in uh, Psalm 109, verse 8. But while Jesus was with them... Or when he wasn't, be, to, wasn't with them physically, they would not be lost. And that word, lost, can mean literally or figuratively lost. Like, I'm literally lost, or I'm lost spiritually, and completely like lost to hell, basically. It could mean that, but it could also mean lost as far as even death, losing your life. But while Jesus was with them, no one was going to touch them. They were immutable. They were invincible when Jesus was with them. In fact, even after he ascended to the Father, they are still invincible. And by the way, you and I are also invincible until Jesus has finished what he wants to do in our lives. Know that for surety because you are safe and and secure until he is ready to call you to himself. I just wish I knew when that was going to be. I'm not afraid of dying, and, and I'm afraid of the process. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking forward to the process. I hope it's quick. I hope I eat a really nice meal, and then just in the middle of the night, and I'm in glory, you know, like I eat too much pie one night, and, you know, I'm in glory. I, I want to go that way. I don't want to be rotting away in some prison cell, although Christians have. We're not exempt from any of these hard things. But they were, and we are, invincible until it is our time. And only God knows that time. But the disciples, remember, they were under great duress. And Jesus made sure that the temple police, they only took him. He said, you can take me, but let these go. Notice how in control he is. You'd think that they'd say, "Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Jesus, but there's 600 of us right here, and you're telling us what to do? And Jesus could basically say, yes, you're going to take me, but you're going to let these go. You got me. I'll go willingly, but let these go. And that's exactly what happened. Who was in control? 
Who was in control? They thought they were in control, but Jesus, hallelujah, is in control. Love that. Never forget that, that he is in control. Not man, not any government. He is in control. Love that. And Jesus knew that this wasn't the right time for them. It wasn't the right time for his disciples. Their faith was still kind of weak. And it says in Corinthians that, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, because no temptation has overcome you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but with the temptation will give you a way of escape. And he gave his disciples a way of escape, because they were not able at that time to endure that temptation. He made sure to it. He saw to it that they would be exempt from this. And then Simon Peter, verse 10 says, having a sword, he drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. His name was Malchus. And I love in the other gospel accounts, it doesn't tell us who the name of this person was who drew the sword. But John, because John and Peter were like this, they were close together. John didn't have any problem saying, yeah, it was Peter. And I love the, they, they must have had a really great friendship, you know, together. And the, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say, somebody drew a sword. One of them drew a sword, but Peter, or but John says, no, it was Peter. It was Peter who drew the sword. And notice, cut off the right ear of the high servant, or the, the servant's, uh, the high priest's servant cut off his ear. And that was a big deal because when they would anoint the priests, they would always anoint the right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe on your feet. They would anoint those things. And now Malchus, he's missing his right ear, which to the high priest, that would be significant. But Peter had a sword. And I don't believe that Peter was aiming for his ear. I believe that he was going to take his head off, but Malchus moved or the sword glanced off his head and took off his ear. Peter was more than likely right-handed. And think about this. If somebody's standing, and when I, when I read this, I, had a, I was thinking about just bringing somebody up as a vision. Yeah, come on up. Yeah, just, just stand right here. Okay, so here is Malchus and here is, here is Peter. And most people were, you don't have a sword, I do, Sorry. But he he pulls his sword out, and it probably happened very quickly, and he just pulls it off like this, and he goes like this, and at the last minute, he turns his head, seeing it coming, and it just takes his right ear right off. Peter was aiming for the head. He was going to take his head off. Thanks, you can sit down again. Thanks. I'm glad his head is still on, by the way. He's a great guy. But I believe in this act that Peter was trying to redeem himself, to show his devotion to Jesus Christ, because he, even though he was rash and he was misguided, Peter did this perhaps because of what the Lord had told him in the upper room just prior to this. Remember what he said to him. He said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has, desired, has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.